0: This is uh, Kevin Evans with the chapter-by-chapter life class at Crossroads Assembly of God in Greenville. And we are studying Acts, and we are about to start Chapter 7, which in my Bible is called Stephen's Speech to the Sanhedrin. And I don't like the title. I think I (laughs) I I would rewrite the title after I've studied this. I don't think it's a speech. I've also... Uh, has looked at several commentators and call it Stephen's sermon to the Sahedron. And you know, let's be honest, there is some sermon qualities to it, but it's not a sermon. This is a civil defense of a criminal charge. He is debating. He, this is uh, the defense case being laid out. And uh, the first time I read it, I thought Stephen, in 50 verses, just summarized the entire Old Testament. Oh, my word. He he covers all kinds of ground. And, uh, you know, in my 15 year old mind, I thought this was the most boring passage I've ever read in my whole life. What on earth is he going on about? They're about to kill him, and he's chattering on about. Mo- what?
1: My Bible says that it's Stephen's defense before the Sanhedrin.
0: Well, your Bible is so much better than the rest of us.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. What
0: Okay, um, <laughs> which would be more accurate than mine. Okay, okay, I'll give you that one, point for Bill. All right, um, it's, it's kind of a difficult passage, I think, uh, or maybe it's just me, but it's not a complete summary of the entire Old Testament, although he does cover some ground. What he's doing is directly counteracting the charges that are being brought against him but he doesn't organize it the way I would organize my counterpoint He's and wrong. huh well it. no no yeah. no I'll tell you know If I were teaching my debaters that if you're going to refute this guy's claim, I'm going to say, my opponent said da, 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 and therefore, ta, 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 you know, and I'm going to, we need to identify what we're attacking and this is the argument and this is the conclusion. Identify what we're attacking. I mean, in fact, if you can follow that structure and just babble nonsense, half the time you can win the debate anyway because it sounds like you did, which was another trick I taught my freshman debaters.
1: He is basically quoting
0: the book of Exodus and Leviticus. Oh, he, he quotes everywhere. Yes, that is true. I'm not saying that's wrong. Right. But uh, he, he has references all over the place. Amos is in there and Chronicles and Psalms. And he he, he is well-studied.
1: It's amazing how he
0: has knowledge of all of that. Yes. Uh Remember that Stephen, backing up before we jump into this, because it's one long, massive passage. It is the longest book in Acts, and it is t- to be taken in one big chunk. And I try to take it and you know, break things down into, you know, topical chunks. This is all one mass, and you really can't break it down any further. So, before we start, Stephen is a Hellenistic Jew, which we went over some last week. He is uh, of a, a foreign extraction of some kind. It may he may his parents may be of a mixed race background or a mixed national background. Uh, the Hellenistic Jews are largely are people that have grown up and outside of Israel and have come back into Israel as the dysphoria as has gathered in, and they are uh, uh, racially diverse and culturally diverse, and they are all. Jewish but they're not necessarily Hebrew and they don't necessarily speak Hebrew at least well. They probably speak Hebrew a little bit in synagogue but mostly they're gonna work with the languages they're more comfortable with which in this case is Greek and which is why they're called Hellenistic because Greek, the, the Greeks refer to themselves as Hella. That's the Greek word for Greek. And so Hellenistic is Greek in Greek. Right. Okay, so he's a Greek Jew. Uh, and so he's gotten into trouble, re- recapping last week a little bit, because he was preaching at a synagogue full of other Hellenistic Jews, and they've, he's gotten into an argument. Imagine that, a bunch of guys in a Bible study getting into an argument. And they are, uh, evidently, even though they are of a foreign mixed background and they're hellenistic and they're studying out of a the septuagint version of the old testament which is the greek translation uh, they are still very traditional old school rabbinic uh thinking and they are right along with the temple that is uh with the pharisees and sadducees that are attacking christ and so when stephen starts quoting christ about uh, the temple being raised up and Christ coming back to life, and this all flies in the face of all of their, you know, understood religiosity, and they they're 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 rejecting this to the point that they bring charges against him in front of the Sanhedrin.
1: Do you agree with this? If I, read, I want to read something here.
0: Oh, I'll decide when you're doing. Okay. It.
1: it says that. He was a spirit filled businessman elected to supervise benevolences, but he overleaped the limitations of his task and became a powerful preacher possessed of sevenfold fullness.
0: I have a problem with overreached.
1: Says he had a sevenfold fullness. He was full of wisdom, power, light, vision, and love.
0: Well, you know, I think if the Holy Spirit puts his hand upon you and inspires you and calls you to do something, there really isn't anything you can do but do it. Right. I just was asking what yeah. you thought of that statement. I think, I think overreach is, 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 is judgment. But he did become a powerful preacher. Yeah, yes, yes. He was absolutely preaching. Yeah. I don't know about the business thing. I don't know where that comes from. We don't have any reference as to his background, other than that he. we can infer that he's an Hellenistic Jew. He was one of the deacons that they have, or excuse me, they weren't called deacons. He was one of the seven who was handing out uh, 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 alms to the widows within the church. He is helping with church administration. But he's not necessarily, he's not an apostle, he's not in leadership, but he is preaching, and he's going out to the people that are like him, that he understands, and he's going out to synagogues, and he's spreading the message, like we all should, Yeah. right? You know, and so they brought these charges. And so they bring these charges to him, and... Again, in my debate class, I would have to have a list here and, you know, A, B, C, and D so that we know exactly what's being discussed at various points in the argument. Uh, They say that he has been blasphemous against God, which means that he says that God is not who God says he is, or he has been uh, rude and profane toward God, which is what that would mean
1: are actually referring back to the Old Testament because I know that when a man was caught, according to Leviticus, blaspheming God, they took him out and he was, they were told to take him out and stone him, which is so they're kind of reverting back to the way back in the Old we Testament. We are, and we're going
0: to get to that, and that gets really interesting here in a minute. Uh, secondly, second charge is that he has been blasphemous against Moses, saying that Moses is not who they all think he is or is not have the importance that they think he has. And then he says they have been um, speaking against the holy place. He's been speaking against the temple. So there's been some kind of argument about the sanctity of the temple. And honestly, after Herod built his temple, there was a, almost, they, they talked about the temple as almost like an idol because the temple is kind of the center of it all. It's also the center of their political and governmental power in that. So, you know, that's another reason why we should rever the temple. And he has been saying things, and Christ said things about, you know, I'm gonna tear down this temple and raise it up in three days. And I suspect that Stephen may have, I like, quoted that at some point, you know. And so that's what that might have to do with. But but he he we talk about the temple, and then he talks about customs Moses handed down to us. So, so this is the fourth one. And it very specifically does not say what custom that was. However, as we study chapter seven, Stephen makes a focused argument the covenant of circumcision. And I have to assume, based upon that argument, that the custom in question, particularly since we're talking about Hellenistic Jews, is circumcision, because who's what Jews is going to be arguing about circumcisions except for the ones that aren't? Mm. Right? Mm -hmm. Right. So there's been a discussion about how necessary circumcision is for uh, in order to live a sinless life according to the Jewish uh, way. And so we have these foreigners that have come in, these Hellenistic Jews, who have been raised in other cultures and not been circumcised by a rabbi when they were five, and uh, or, or whatever the month that was, that's what it meant. Eight days old. Yeah, right. And uh, that hasn't happened, and so now as adults, they're facing... Circumcision in order to pacify all of the extremely orthodox Jews within their synagogue. Now, I will have to say that if in our modern church a requirement of joining the church, in addition to making a profession of faith and being baptized, was circumcision, I would have to tell you with absolute certainty. That we, we would have to get around the ordination of women thing because eighty percent of our population would be female.
1: <laughs> you know, I never did understand. I've mean, I, I read the Old Testament. I know God made that a commandment, but I've never really understood why the circum why not being circumcised was. Bad thing. I never, I never really quite got that part reading through the Old Testament. I cousins. think it was a matter of
0: setting the Jews apart from everybody else. They needed something that was physically different than everybody else.
1: I heard it was for diseases.
0: I've heard disease. that argument, yeah. but yeah. <laughs> I don't think much scientific evidence supports that. Lee. Uh, that's the way your genetics made you and you know I was born at home. Yeah. <laughs> so that's just how you <laughs> I don't know I don't wanna know. I don't wanna know anymore. <laughs> no more details. This is the thinking
1: of disturbing turd. You said to set on physically apart, but yeah, who's gonna check someone's
0: uh undercarriage? I mean That's a fair point. <laughs> uh, okay, here's the answer. I have no idea. I have no idea. I I, I, bottom line is, God knows. It, God said it. it. There it is. I think that comes under the duties of the secretary of the board to check all that out. Really? <laughs> is that how that goes? <laughs> Thank you. you. Thank you. Yeah. Okay.
1: It just be about surrender?
0: Yes. Yeah. Why not? It's. I think it does require a certain level of commitment, and. Um, Wow, <laughs> yeah, I think if I, if I were a Hellenistic Jew in that synagogue that's throwing the hissy fit, I would, um, well, that would be for it, wouldn't they? And, and Stephen would be the one going, you know, it may not be that big of a deal. I'd be on Stephen's side myself, but anyway. Um, so there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> they were evil people, though, the Sanhedrin were.
0: Let's say, uh, the deluded. Oh, it gets, it gets fun at the end. OK, I would like to point out at this point, before we jump into this really long text, uh, uh, that we want to look for refutations of those four claims. Because basically, everything in this rather long historical defense is all showing that none of those claims can be supported based upon basic beliefs by the, by the Jews. Uh, what he said has not been blasphemous. It's a fulfillment of what's what's been happening, and, and it should have been anticipated everything that Christ did. And he's pointing out that there are all these signs in, uh, for Christ that, that, that they're all aware of, and now it's happened, and how can you say this is blasphemous? You know, and that's kind of the point he's making. So we want to watch for that. Also, um, I want to point out that, yes, the temple could bring charges against someone who was blasphemous. Now, according to the tradition of the temple, the first step when somebody steps out of line, when you have to have church discipline and and the church wants to step in, they would excommunicate you for, I think it was one month. You couldn't come to the temple and pray and sanctify yourself for a month, which is a big deal to Jews. And not only that, but you were kind of socially ostracized since you haven't been going to the temple, you know. And so after a month, you come back to the uh, priest, and this is what uh, unclean people had to do, kind of the same thing. And so you go back to the priest, and, and the priest would counsel with you, and if he's decided that you're punished enough and that you're repentant and we don't have a problem anymore, then he would restore you to being able to come to the temple. And if not... Then you were permanently excommunicated forever from the temple. And at that point you were kind of expected to move out of the country. You need to leave town. Mm-hmm. Which was different than what they did because I was reading this morning in
1: Leviticus, when the, when two men got into an argument and one of them blasphemed God, they arrested him and then they tried him and then they took him out and stoned him to death.
0: And the extreme case, when your excommunication just will not do it, when it is a matter of blasphemy, is stoning. And the tradition for stoning in Jewish culture is that they would, uh, you know, there are plays and short stories in English literature where you have a guy and you tie him to a post and everybody throws a rock. That's that's you know that's the pick. That's not what Jewish stoning is, which I was surprised. This was a this was a growth point for me for this week. Um, They take you to a precipice at least ten feet tall, uh, with some rocks below it, and uh, they push you off. And uh, if you're still alive when you hit the bottom, wherever that is, then they take some more rocks and they throw them on top of you. And if they have because they you know, if it's flat country, they pile rocks on top of you until you squish and then you're and, and they leave you there and, and that's stoning and you're kinda of buried at the same time. I've
1: never
0: heard of this before. You haven't? I've never heard it described that way. Oh yeah. Had it was new to me it. too. The sea boulders. It's because in high school, you read The Lottery, right? That little short story where all these uh, pre- Presbyterians get together and stone somebody in order to pacify the gods. Yeah, yeah. I think that's why I, – I, I suspect that's the issue. That's how they were going to stone Jesus in the miniseries. Throw him up, up, like ch- up a cliff?
1: Yeah, they took him to a yeah. the the TV show. That's yeah. how – how, what they were presenting the stoning the Well, they did
0: it accurately, then, didn't, didn't they? If they –
1: uh, is it – because I know it said that the whole community had to go out and stone him. Is that because they don't want anyone to know who actually killed him? Uh, stone actually killed him. Yes.
0: That's a curious he question. I cannot him, find yes. an answer to because I think it's pertinent to this story. I would think that if you were the Sanhedrin and you are the authority, because if I'm writing a screenplay, understand. And I proclaim that you have a capital offense and you are guilty and you need to be stoned. I don't think the judge is gonna take, is gonna shove you off the the cliff. The judge is gonna stand up overlooking the uh, temple guards. The temple guards gonna chain you and walk you out there and then then they're gonna draw lots and one of you is gonna kick you over the cliff. Does that make sense? And it's gonna be very legal and very unemotional because that's where the civil authority comes from. If it's hot-headed then it's a mob and it loses its control, its, 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 its control and relevance. You, you, they lose power if they throw a hissy fit.
1: But it, it can also be uh, an example. So they'll require everybody to come to see the stone.
0: Yes. To the, uh, so you have to observe to the, the justice being done. Well, the all other that? side of that
1: coin is that person proclaiming something. You don't want the people to hear it because they may follow his teaching.
0: True. So I guess it's a we'll make it up as we go kind but of deal.
1: Paul really did stone him. He held the, the garments.
0: Yeah, he's at the very end of this. He's like 50 verses before <laughs> we get there. We have so much more ground before we get to that. Okay, so all of that and I haven't even started yet. Um, so we've got these four charges and then in verse seven, it says, then the high priest who was Caiaphas, by the way, are these charges true? Which means that he is now able to present a defense for himself, knowing full well that he is on trial for his life and that probably the conclusion has already been drawn. Because the judges in this case are also your accusers. You know, when, when prosecution and the judge is the same person, that's not a good trial to be in if you're the defendant, right? So, so he's going to make his case n- knowing that he's got a lot of case to make here, you know. And, and so here he goes. And when I first, oh, okay, here, chapter 7, verse 1. Then the high priest asked him, are these charges true? To this he replied, brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia. Before he lived in Haran, leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land that I will show you. So he begins with, uh, you know, respectfully, because this is a civil thing. And uh, he is addressing uh, the Sanhedrin's as brothers and fathers, and so which is respectful, and God of glory. He's been accused of being heretical to God, and he begins with God of glory. So there's defense point number one. And so now he's talking about Abraham in Mesopotamia. So he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. After the death of his father, God sent him to this land, where you are now living. He gave him no inheritance here, not even a foot of ground, but God promised him that he and his descendants after him would possess the land, even though at that time Abraham had no child. God spoke to him in this way, Your descendants will be strangers in a country, not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years, but I will punish the nation they serve as slaves. God said, And afterward they all came out of that country and worshipped me in this place. Then he gave Abraham the covenant of circumcision, and Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him eight days after his birth. Later, Isaac became the father of Jacob, and Jacob became the father of the 12 patriarchs. So there's a summary of the beginning of the Jewish people, and they're not living in Israel. There is no temple, and God has created this covenant with Abraham who is living in a pagan land, right? So it's not about place. There's an argument against place. God has, is talking to a little heathen, Abraham, and he's established this, this covenant. So, you know, uh, so circumcision hasn't taken place yet, and he's established this covenant. So a covenant can be established with a foreigner because Abraham was one, Right? I'm assuming that's the argument. And he zips on down to uh, Jacob and his 12 sons. And he introduces the covenant of circumcision, which he doesn't say is wrong, but he says, you know, there it is. Because the patriarchs were jealous of Joseph, they sold him as a slave into Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him from all of his troubles. He gave Joseph wisdom and enabled him to gain the goodwill of the Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he made him ruler over Egypt and all of his palace. So we also have a picture of Christ here. Because Joseph is God's selected one. But then the leadership of the church, which is basically Joseph's brothers, have rejected him. And so we have a a historical picture of what just happened to Jesus so so stephen is pointing out that you know this has kind of happened before and 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 you've got it in your book and you teach it you know so we have a selected person that's been rejected by the establishment and he's right he's raised up then a famine struck all egypt and canaan bringing great suffering and their fathers could not find food then jacob heard that there was grain in egypt and he sent our fathers on their first visit On their second visit, Joseph told his brothers who he was, and Pharaoh learned about Joseph's family. After this, Joseph sent for his father Jacob and his whole family, 75 in all. Then Jacob went down to Egypt, where he and his fathers died. Their bodies were brought back to Sachem and placed in the tomb that Abraham had bought from the sons of Haram at Sachem for a certain sum of money. Several commentators throw a big fat hissy fit right here because if you trace it back to the Old Testament, he's referring to two separate burials that are in two separate places, but they're right kind of next to each other in the same country. And he's grouping it all together. But as it turns out in the Septuagint version of the Old Testament, which is the Greek translation that the Hellenistic Jews were reading, it, it kind of blurs that together. It's not, it's kind of less clear. And so even, it sounds like that Stephen has gotten this little trivia fact wrong and actually probably learned it that way. It's a translational error going back 2,000 years. And we don't know what, I know
1: Joseph made them promise to take his bones when they left. Yes. So we don't know. Did they bury his bones here with the rest of his family? We never really found out where they did with his bones.
0: And frankly, it's immaterial. What he's ma- what he's saying is that uh, Joseph has been honored as the chosen, even after he was originally rejected. And that's his point. It really doesn't matter where they're buried, you know. But but they were honored. Okay. At, as the time drew near for God to fulfill His promise to Abraham. The number of our people in Egypt greatly increased. Then another king, who knew nothing about Joseph, became ruler of Egypt. He dealt treacherously with our people and opposed our forefathers by forcing them to throw out their newborn babies uh, that they would die. (coughs) At that time, Moses was born, and he was no ordinary child. For three months, he was cared for in his father's house. When he was placed outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him and brought him up to his own son. As his own son. Moses was educated and, uh, and preached the word where... E- Moses was educated in all... Oh, I got a stuck page. Yes. Okay. Got it. The wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. That's what I get for having all this tape in my Bible. Uh, When Moses was 40 years old, oh look, we skipped 40 more years. He decided to visit his fellow Israelites. He saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian. So he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. Moses thought that his own people would realize that God were using him to rescue him. But they didn't. So here was, you know, God's appointed uh, uh, Savior rushing in to save them, and nobody cared. The next day, Moses came upon two Israelites who were fighting, and he tried to reconcile them, and they said, men, you are brothers. Why do you not want to hurt each other? And then, But the man who was mistreating the other pushed Moses aside and said, who made you ruler and judge over us? And he once again rejects the chosen leader. Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? When Moses heard this, he fled to Midian, where he settled as a foreigner and sulked for 40 years. Oh wait, I did that part, and had two sons after 40 years he passed an angel uh, appeared to moses in the flames of a burning bush in the desert near mount sinai when he saw this he was amazed at the sight and he went over to look more closely he heard the lord's voice i am the god of your fathers the god of abraham isaac and jacob and moses trembled with fear and did not dare to look then the lord said to him take off your sandals and place where you are standing in holy ground I have indeed seen the oppression of my people in Egypt and have heard their groaning and have come down to set them free. By now I will send you back to Egypt. Okay, has he gotten the basic story of Moses in place here? Pretty much. Why is he going over the details of Moses' life? Because the second charge against him is that he is blaspheming against Moses. He's basically telling them the story of Moses to show that he's on board with it, right?
1: Mm -hmm. Maybe they got angry because he said that he was lazy for 40 years and didn't
0: go and do it. That was was from the Gospel of Kevin and uh, wasn't in the scripture.
1: I know it's not in scripture. Maybe maybe that was their thinking. Maybe maybe they're thinking like you. Mm.
0: Uh I I think Moses was sulking for 40 years. Passionate people. Anyway, I will send you back to Egypt. This was the same Moses whom they had rejected with the words, Who made you ruler and judge? Remember, they rejected the selected. He was sent to be their ruler and delivered by God himself through the angel who appeared to him in the bush. He led them out of Egypt and did wonders and miraculous signs in Egypt and the Red Sea and for 40 years in the desert. There's another 40 years. So Joseph was like, Moses was 120 when he passed, or Got buried by God in the yeah. mountains. Yeah, uh, this is uh, this is that Moses who told the Israelites, "God will send you a prophet like me from your own people." He was in the assembly in the desert with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai, and with our fathers, and he received living word to pass on to us. But our fathers refused to obey him well, okay. <laughs> because it's all about rejection. of the the sent one. Instead, they rejected him and in their hearts turned back to Egypt. They told Aaron, make us gods who will go before us. For as his fellow Moses has led us out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. That was the time they made an idol in the form of the calf and they brought sacrifices to it and held a celebration of honor that their hands were made. But God turned away and gave them over to the worship of the heavenly bodies. This agrees with what is written in the book of the prophets Did you bring me sacrifices and offerings 40 years in the desert of house of Israel? If you lifted up the shrine of Molech and the star of your God, Raphan, the idols you made to worship, therefore I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. So he's quoting the Old Testament. Which one was that? Is that Psalm? No, Molech is Amos. He's quoting Amos. Uh... And it's a direct quote. And he's referencing all kinds of other Old Testament places. He has studied. Uh, Stephen has done his seminary school work. You know? uh, uh, he's got memorized passages. He, this is a well-planned, I think, practice defense of his faith. What now? What what now? I said this must have been his thesis work. Well, I have no problem with that, actually. (laughs) Amos
1: (laughs) makes a good (laughs) cookie,
0: (laughs) too. Ha ha. Our forefathers had their tabernacle of testimony with them in the desert. It has been made as God directed Moses according to the pattern he had seen. Having received the tabernacle, our fathers under Joshua brought it with them when they took the land from the nations, and God drove them before them. It remained in the land until the time of David who enjoyed God's favor and asked him that he might provide a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built the house for him. Why is he bringing this up? Because charge number three is that he's blaspheming the place of worship. Yes, but he's pointing out that God commanded the tabernacle be built. God never commanded that the temple be built. Uh, yeah, he, I knew you were going to jump on <laughs> like that. Now Go had, for it.
1: He told David to get the material together, but his son Solomon would build it.
0: So, and Herod rebuilt the temple, and I don't remember any. It, I don't think God even liked Herod. And,
1: no, because he ate the worm.
0: Yeah. <clears throat> but it was Solomon who built that house for him. But is the house... Where God lives? Oh, wait, there's a reference that literally says, I don't live in houses made by men. You know, uh, how, Solomon said, when you build, we, we, how can I build a temple that's worthy of God who built the heavens and earth? I, it's a horrible quote, but it, it's, it's from the Song yeah, of Solomon, I think. Yeah, and, and so Solomon acknowledges that this temple can't contain God. You know, it's not as far. God lives in us, as, as Chris just pantomimed at me. Uh, yeah,
1: yeah. But now there was a point where God actually did
0: dwell in the tabernacle. Well, yeah, because the Holy of Holies and curtains right. and all that, so yeah. He did it. However, I don't, I don't think that validates the point. Stephen is saying... Dwelling in... God lives in me. He doesn't live in the temple. He lives in us. The, the, the God's chosen people are the temple. Well, we, you know,
1: we know after Christ died, when yeah. the veil t- was ripped in two, that changed all that.
0: You, you'd think that'd get the point because it was ripped at this point. However, the Most High does not live in houses made by men as the prophet says. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord, Oh, that's what I just misquoted. Uh, where will my resting place uh, uh, be? Uh, has not my hand made all these things? So God doesn't live in this, you know, is it, this isn't God's home. Why are you making such a big deal about where we're preaching? Right? And honestly, I think, if it had been me and... Uh, I were preparing a legal case against you know charges brought by the Sanhedrin. I would stand right there and I would say, "Rest my case," because he's made all of his points. He's refuted all of the charges of, uh, of, 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 of blasphemy, and uh, if they make any ruling against him, it's it, it, it's 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 uh, just sheer corruption because he's already he, he's made his case. And because but, and then we shift to verse 51, which doesn't seem like it belongs there. It feels like, and, and I, again, I suffer from being a, a retired high school teacher. It feels like an angry sophomore who has constrained themselves making their case, and then they throw their hissy fit at the end that they really, really wanted to say. And I don't, I may be misinterpreting this. But man, it feels angry. This feels angry. So he just made this this big, huge, historical case. And then he says, you stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you are just like your fathers.
1: Could we say he was... <laughs> <laughs>
0: I want to say that he was un, unwise and temperamental, but I think he's also speaking under the the, the the power of the Holy Spirit, and I think the Holy Spirit wanted this to happen. He is he is accusing the Sanhedrin of the hypocrisy that is obviously there, and God wanted that to happen.
1: I read fifty one in my Bible. It says, "You stiff neck and uncircumcised in heart and ears." You do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do ye.
0: Trumpet. That is I'll kind of unnerving. <laughs> <laughs> this
1: is Kevin's hissy fit, now we're all missing the rapture.
0: <laughs> you always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your fathers did not prosecute? <laughs> <laughs> He's quoting Christ. Christ said, You're, there, there's, you, 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 you prosecuted all the, pro- the prophets. He actually, They've heard this line before. He's just repeating it. Just them off more.
1: Yeah, he just actually repeated what Christ yes. called. Christ called them stiff-necked
0: hypocrites. Dude. Yes. They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one, and now you have betrayed and murdered him. He just called his judges who are about to kill him a bunch of murderers. I do not recommend that. You don't cuss out the principal who's about to give you licks. You just, you know, it's not going to go well. No. But don't you think he's being led by the Holy Spirit? I do. Yeah. You, you who have received the law that was put into effect through angels but have not obeyed it. So he has, there's where the preaching comes in because he, he attacks and tries to convict the Sanhedrin, after he makes this long and convoluted defense against every one of their charges against him, and he hid it all. Uh, this was a legal case. I, I, I would have written it differently for modern English consumption, but that's, that's what this was. Oh, and the next passage is great. Remember, they don't have the power to execute him legally. They have a tradition of stoning people before the Romans came along. And even then, it would have been a proclamation of death and they would have been taken out and thrown off a a cliff and people would have had to watch, but it would have been a soldier that did the killing. I'm assuming part of that, you know, as much as I could tell. But that is not at all what happens here. Uh, Verse 54, when they heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. That says it gnashed on him. They were grinding their teeth. I thought it gnashed they were him. very upset. I thought
1: upset. they were biting
0: him. They were angry. No, they're not biting him.
1: it, was, it says it gnashed their teeth on him. It I don't... Gnashed, gnashed on then once
0: again, teeth. your Bible is weird. Okay.
1: it's an evil thing yeah that they're, when they're on him, that means it's him.
0: a language right. thing they're angry and they they their jaws are locked and they're grinding their teeth but stephen full of the holy spirit egg them on even further that's a gospel of kevin looked up to heaven and saw the glory of god and jesus standing at the right hand of god look he said i see heaven open and the son of man standing at the right hand of god He's saying that the guy you killed is risen and standing in heaven and looking over us. And this to the Sanhedrin that did not believe in resurrection. So this line in and of itself is blasphemous to their developed and slightly weird doctrine. Does that make sense? So that would upset the Sanhedrin just in and of itself. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices. They all rushed him. The judges rushed him. They were angry. They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against him. When he had said this, he fell asleep. Isn't
1: that, isn't that unique? To him? How you? How,
0: what a nice euphemism. He fell asleep. They brained him in the head with a rock, and he died is the proper that, interpretation of that. Yes. But
1: isn't it like Christ? The, that, and with that he died. It doesn't say false yeah. But isn't it? unique how Christ as soon as he said forgive them for they know not what they're doing he gave up the ghost and died and Stephen kind of the same exact same thing I mean I think that's unique What's the cuz he didn't die and go die All you late. theologians
0: what's the word for a precedent for Christ in the Old Testament so Joseph is a picture of Christ type it's a, he's a type right uh I there I think types are really interesting in how these stories are portrayed. Uh, it, I don't have enough time to get this is a deep well I'm about to jump into. Uh, as a, a as a writer, as I pretend to be a writer, mm-hmm. I've studied several you books. You can't start without her, so go ahead. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> By Stay for a- God built us for understanding and relating to him. I believe, if I can synopsize this complicated theory, that God created our minds to react to the story of the passion play. And there is something called the hero's journey in writing, which goes through all these points in a story where things have to happen in the story in order for the story to work. And if it doesn't have it, it, you you can tell a story without it, but the story just kind of falls flat. It doesn't go anywhere, and it's not satisfying. But a good story has got like these four major points and these, these 16 little points, and they perfectly follow the story of Christ and uh, sacrificing himself and coming back to life. Resurrection is one of the points, three-fourths of the way into the story of the hero's journey. Uh, I think that God created us for this relationship, and history follows this cycle. And so the story of Joseph follows the hero's journey, and the story of Moses follows the... the, All those types match... This literary thing that they're using in in Hollywood to write movie scripts. It's God created all men alike to relate to him, and I think that's evidence of that. The power of the narrative. Yes. The way we respond to narrative. Okay, and that was going a long way. But I think God shows us all of these types. And Stephen, I don't know if he would use the term. Is really pointing out those types. Jo- look what you did to Joseph. He was the elected one, and the people and uh, the authority rejected him. And then over here, you know, uh, look how he redeemed everyone. Oh yeah, and Joseph redeemed them on the second time that they came during the second coming to Joseph. Isn't that interesting? You can find all of these little connections to the story of Christ in in Moses and in Joseph and in all of these other types. And and there are whole books going through type and type and type and type going all the way through the Old Testament because history keeps repeating itself in a frighteningly similar manner. And Joseph, Stephen is pointing that out in order to make his case that look, once again, you the authorities have rejected the select of God.
1: You know what's amazing is that he actually was able to see heaven open. I wonder what their thought was to the fact when he told them, "I see heaven open and I see Jesus standing at the right hand of God." I wonder. I wish they would say something about what their thought. I guess that's when I think
0: they were Sanhedrin and they thought that was highly blasphemous.
1: Yeah, did not that when they lashed out on him? They they attacked him.
0: Okay. In the last point, as everyone's abandoning me here. 8-1 Eight, one, and Paul was there giving approval to his death and that's the end of that. Uh, I think shouldn't, shouldn't chapter A to begin in the next verse. Anyway um, they, messed up they really did mess and that really? part up I, I'm going to have to give it that's that not up
1: inspir- that's just,
0: that's just, that's just poor work there. Anyway uh, Saul, I, I've seen commentators say well since Saul was holding their coats he must have been in charge please No, he wasn't. The guy in charge does not hold the coats. The 14-year-old does. You know, he was merely observing. He was a student of theology, and we know that he was studying under Gamaliel. uh, I always mess that one up. Uh, We know he was studying scripture uh, by by one of the big shots in in, uh, uh, Jerusalem, and uh, he, this is a Bible student watching this. He's completely in approval because he's backing up his, his Sahedrin. Oh. And, and, and he, he was there. And I think Luke, because Luke was Paul's disciple, needed to point out that Luke was there and told me this story because he saw it. Saul saw it. Saul is the one telling this story. Okay, disagree. I'll let you disagree. I refute at your heart's content. I believe Saul was part of the you think he was a full member at that point? He was, he was he was the up and coming now was he head of
1: Sanhedrin? No. I think he was a member of the Sanhedrin. Later on he goes, I voted with them at the trial of Christ. Okay, fair enough. And the authority he was given to go get Christians and throw them in jail, that's that's up to the officer of the Sanhedrin to do.
0: He was still the up-and-coming Sanhedrin, trying to prove himself by destroying. Either, I could be pump. wrong
1: if I get to heaven and Jesus said you're yeah. wrong about that.
0: Okay, I'm okay. Wrong. I don't think he was 15 years old. <laughs> I, I was. I was. Uh, that was Texas. I think he had
1: more power
0: than what But may, maybe so. I'm, I um, could be wrong.
1: I can accept being wrong.
0: But I, I do think that that Luke puts him there, not you know, just to you know, titillate us. But it's to show that this is the source of this story. Here is an eyewitness to everything that happened. And he was in agreement on the Sanhedrin, and that's the guy that I work for now, you know, as he's as, writing as this. We know who Saul was, the, the, his readership knew who Saul was, which validates the story. So we have this long sermon, you know, that somebody is repeating third hand, but, but but it's not second hand. This is introducing Anakin Skywalker as good to. Be- <laughs> <laughs> and with that, I'm signing off. I have no That's idea how to respond to it. That's a story of narrative stuff. Oh, okay. right I, uh, I got sorry. nothing to contribute with <laughs> that. Okay. Uh, uh, signing off. Goodbye, Internet. Bye.